Father in heaven, we do thank You for Your Word that speaks to us, that changes us, that makes us more like Jesus. And so as we open up this letter from Paul to the Colossians, we do pray that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are easily conformed to this Word. Let it be planted within us and let it bring forth fruit in our lives for Your sake and Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are starting a new sermon series this morning on Colossians. And uh, no, it's not Matthew. I think we had, uh, Pastor Jake might have said that before. Um, and many of you might be saying, why Colossians? Why, why this sudden pivot and, and change? There is um, three reasons. Um, two of them that I'll use was what I learned from Sinclair Ferguson a long time ago. One is a general answer and the other one is a more particular answer and then one more even more particular that's true for us at at Trinity so let me give you the first answer as to why study Colossians well Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter that all scripture is God breathed that it is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work We are to be students of the Word. We're to take it in. We are to be established in the faith and educated in the faith and then living it out. So that's a general answer. Now a more particular answer with regards to the study of Colossians. Sinclair put it this way. said that there is a need that Colossians speaks to in the contemporary world. The first of which is that we as Christians, as followers of Christ, should have, need to have, a great vision of Jesus Christ. His preeminence. And we should really know how to live the Christian life. Both of those come from Colossians. And the third one I'll insert in here... The elders, the session, we have been working, I think we more than a year, um, on mission and vision for the church. And you've heard a lot of things about the Vine Project, little bits and pieces here. I'm sure many of you are concerned. Every time Jeff gets up there, he talks about mission vision, talks about the Vine Project. I'm confused. I don't understand. Colossians breaks it all out. It, it will do a better job than I ever could do to speak about the mission of the church and the vision of the church, both of which are biblical. They're not something that we've conjured up on our own. And so that's the third reason we're doing this. And there's three words that I want you to be able to to handle. I will repeat these over and over and over as we're going through this study of Colossians. Three P's. Preeminence, purpose, and participation. Preeminence, purpose, and and participation. So why don't you say it with me? Preeminence, purpose, and participation. Those are three things that are going to come forth in Colossians. They will speak to our mission as Christians of Christ's church and the vision we're to have to speak the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. And so those are some things that we want to highlight as we go through. The preeminence of Christ the purpose of God, and our participation in it. 
And so those are the things that we'll do. So anytime that you start a new study, particularly in the epistles, uh, it's good to have a little bit of background. So I want to give you a little bit of background, and hopefully it's not so dry um, as to what is going on. I'll try to do this. John um, Woodhill, I think his name is, he put it more in a narrative form, and I'm going to try to follow um, what he had to say. And so Paul, on his third missionary journey, this is captured in Acts chapter 19, travels to a bustering city of Ephesus. And he goes to Ephesus and he begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he is there, he's teaching. And he's teaching in the synagogues. And some believe, some don't, and they kind of push him out. So he goes to a place called Tyrannus Hall. And at Tyrannus Hall, he continues to teach. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it talks about, and all Asia heard the gospel. Now that's a bold statement. Now Paul was in Ephesus. What that means is people not only from Ephesus, but from all of Asia, which is modern day Turkey, was coming to Ephesus. It was a big trade city. It was a big city for all kinds of commerce. And so people would go there regularly. And there happened to be a couple of men from Colossae that went to Ephesus. One is named Philemon. There is a letter to Philemon that comes in there. The church that would be founded in Colossae will meet at Philemon's house. The other gentleman is an evangelist or became an evangelist, Epaphras. He came from Colossae and he came and he heard from Paul, learned the gospel, and then took it back. Preached it in Colossae preached it in Laodicea, preached it in Heropolis, three cities that are in this Lycus Valley. And so those three cities, that triad of cities, received the gospel and churches began springing up. This is somewhere about around 52 to 56 AD. And so things are going well. Now, Colossae as a city was once a great place to be as well. But over time, it started re- uh, retreating into the shadows of Heropolis and Laodicea. Those two became the rich city centers in this triad of cities. Hierapolis was would be considered a resort city. Uh, Laodicea was that of rich people. Um, so much so that in Revelation, John says of Laodicea, because they started turning away from Christ, you're neither rich nor poor, you're lukewarm, you're neither hot or cold, I'm about to spew you out of your mouth. The one thing about Colossae is Colossae was a vibrant church, even when it became a poorer place to be. Vibrant church. But then sometime later, after Paul had gone to Jerusalem and then appealed to Caesar and ended up in a Roman prison, around 60, 62 AD, so about 10 years after this church is started by Epaphras, Epaphras makes a trip to Rome. And he goes, Paul, we got a problem. He goes, everything's been going great. Okay, it's, it's really going good. And, and for the most part, the church is doing well. But there's a problem. And it's the problem that the Colossians were having 
that we'll dive into, but we're not going to get real deep and caught up in the weeds. There is over 44, 44 different opinions on what the false teaching was. So I'm going to boil it down to three categories that are pretty easy that all the commentators seem to agree upon. That this false teaching that entered into the church had three parts to it. One is Greek philosophy, which makes sense in that day and age. Koine Greek was the common language. A lot of Greek philosophy had passed throughout the entire world. The, the second thing was Judaism and the law and little syncretistic type things that are entering in. And the other one was just flat out Eastern mysticism. So if you take all those things and you mash it up and then you add it to Christianity, that's what was happening within the church at Colossae. So if you want to look at it one other way, it was Christ isn't enough. I I know you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, but if you really want the fullness all the benefits that come with Christ, it's Christ and something else. Call it Christ plus. It's not enough to have a subscription to Disney or to Hulu or something else or ESPN. You've got to have the ESPN plus. You've got to have the Hulu plus. You've got to have a little bit more to have all the fullness of what it is. The problem is that's counter to Scripture. Christ is all we need. We come to faith through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Him and Him only is all that we need. And so Paul's writing back to the Colossians to make that statement. Christ is preeminent. You need nothing more than that. So hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of what's What's coming to pass in this? In these, um, this false teaching, it'll come out as we are going through um, this letter in weeks to come. Uh, they offered a new spiritual fullness. They wanted you to have more fullness. A new spiritual freedom. There, there's more to do in life. And they offered insight on how to deal with evil in the world. How to deal with Satan. As if Christ isn't enough. He's not... Paul will say he's over all rule and authority and dominion. Um, And then they would teach people to practice asceticism. You know, you've got to punish yourself um, to get across the finish line for Christianity. And then there's always, in any kind of Greek philosophy, Judaism, and then this mysticism all mashed together, you've got to have a secret knowledge, a deeper knowledge. The early seeds of, of Gnosticism, if you will. So there's some other things that we'll get to as, as we go uh, through this. So um, Colossians, as we begin to get into this text, I entitled this message, Great Expectations. Great Expectations. And I, I did so because as you read through this first chapter and you get into these things, and Christ is preeminent. It is in His preeminent and us being in Him that we have a lot of great things to expect. And so I'm going to have three points for you. A great status that we receive. Okay? A great Christianity and a great gospel. So there's your three points for this, this sermon here this morning. So as we go into this, Paul's letters will always start with 
him introducing himself and who he's writing to. And so this will begin to take up this great status that we have as Christians. Paul is an apostle. He's in that Roman prison, as I said before, but he is an apostle because of the will of God. God has called him to do this through his divine plan and decree when Christ met him on the Damascus road and changed Paul scales off of his eyes he went from being a persecutor to the ch- of the church to a promoter of the church and so it's him and Timothy that are partnering in this letter and so the great status comes through in who it's written to the text says that it's written to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ Jesus at Colossae. Do you ever think of yourself as a saint? Most of the time we we will say, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. Sometimes we might go, I'm a sinner and I'm a saint. But, but do you, when you think about the word saint, what do you think about? So the definition for this is that it's, it's a holy one. It's one that's set apart for God's use. When you become a believer, you are, and this is going to come out in the text later on, that you would be holy and blameless. That you would be used for God's work. You are a saint. You should just be thrilled with that. That's the way God looks at you, as a saint because of Christ Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson was talking about this and the first time he really studied uh, Colossians. And he, and he deeply meditated upon being a saint. He, he talks about leaving school. Yeah, this is before he is ordained to be a pastor. And he's leaving school. He's learned this truth. And he said he's the sidewalks in front of him. And he kind of looks ahead and he kind of looks around. And then he starts skipping. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Are you excited to be a saint? To be for God's purpose? To be for His use? That should be a great status to you. You are, above all things, a saint. But not just any kind of saint. You're a faithful saint. It says you're a brother in Christ. Really that word for brother, some people say brothers and sisters, but it's really brethren. It is brothers and sisters. The, the, the force of it is to say we are one. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, old, young, baby, Silas. We are brethren and we are faithful. These saints, us who believe in Christ, with the joy that comes with that, comes a faithfulness to Christ and His service. We recognize that we're set apart for service. And so we faithfully listen to the Word of God and we live it out. There is an aspect of obedience and you do it joyfully. We as children of God look to please our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, to be faithful and obedient with what He gives to us. And so, think of it this way. We've all, well, many of us have been kids. All of us have been kids. Many of us have had kids. And wouldn't you like to have had faithful kids at all times? 
<laughs> go clean your room. They skip and go, yeah, I'm a saint of my mom and dad. I'm going to go clean my room. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to please them. Okay, all these, these things that we'll talk about today, being a saint, being faithful, it's not natural to us. It's not. But God has transformed us, transferred us, and transformed us out of darkness into the kingdom of light. With that comes the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power to live this way. So we're saints, we're faithful, we're one in Christ. And then in this introduction, this great status that we have, Paul goes on to say, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Some manuscripts add in, and the Lord Jesus Christ. But God our Father um, speaks to this. Now, we know of grace as unmerited favor. We, we come to faith through grace alone. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives that changes our hearts. We hear the gospel and, and we believe. Unmerited favor. But the grace that's talked about here is the grace that you and I need as saints, that spiritual nurture, that spiritual nutrition, that spiritual strength and power to then be faithful. So Paul in this thing is saying grace to you, grace to continue to live. And then peace. Peace is another one. Shalom is the the Hebrew rendition of that word. It talks about peace with God. But I think Paul's going further with this, and it's not just having peace with God that enables you to be a saint. But it's that reality of knowing you have peace with God that you can then go out and make peace with others. Be a peacemaker. And making peace comes through sharing the gospel. So that's the great status that we have. We're saints, we're faithful, we're united, and we have the grace of God and the peace of God to practice our sainthood. The second thing is a great Christianity. That's the second point that he gets on in this text. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. There are four marks of a great Christian of Christianity we're all great Christians. We're not mediocre Christians. We, we are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone and grace alone. But He sees us as His brothers and sisters. That we are children of God. We, we, we should see our Christianity as great. Now, if you're concerned about your Christianity, there's four marks here that you need to look at. Are you thankful? Is there thanksgiving in your life? And then is there the triad, the golden triad, the theological term that's given to this, of faith, love, and hope. That's the order that they come in this text. Are you thankful? Do you have faith? Do you love not only God but others? And do you have hope? Those are the four things that begin to come in through this text to show that Christianity is great. We have a great Christianity before us. Go back to talk about kids again. When we have little children, one of the things that we want to teach them is manners and how to behave well. And so one of the things that kids get a lot of when they're little is gifts. 
And so we want to teach them to say thank you when they receive something. That there's thankfulness that takes place. And so as Christians, we should be thankful to God for all things. But specifically here, Paul's thanks that he wants to express to them is the thanksgiving when they got the word that the Colossians believed. That they had faith in Christ. We had a baptism here just a little while ago of Silas. Did you have thanksgiving in your heart? Lord, thank you for another child of believers. That you would grow this one up in the nurture and the admonition of yourself. That they would never know a day that they didn't know Jesus. That they would then go on to be a saint, to be faithful, to spread the good news of the gospel. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful when a family member comes to Christ? Are you thankful to hear about different things that are happening within the kingdom of God? There is an ordination tonight at Town North Presbyterian Church at 5 p.m. Hamid Hatami is an Iranian that came from Iran. We have Saeed and Masa are part of this congregation. They're believers, just like Hamid is. But Hamid's having an ordination service tonight. He is going to become a teaching elder at Town North Presbyterian Church. And he's going to serve in a ministry that ministers to Iranians, Farsi-speaking people. He is the first Iranian convert to become an ordained pastor in the PCA. Are you thankful for that? Isn't that wonderful? Thankfulness should fill our hearts, particularly when the Word of God is doing what Jesus has promised that it would do. And we'll get to that in a moment. So thankfulness is the first thing. And their faith is in Christ Jesus. There's a twofoldness to this. When you came to Trinity this morning, you parked your car and you came into Trinity. There's a, the preposition in that we have in the English language has two Greek words. One is S-E-I-S, the other one E-N. Both are translated in. But when you parked in the parking lot, you came into Trinity. There, there's an approach that is taken. But once you're in here now in this service, you're in Trinity. And so the thankfulness on Paul's part is you were once out and you came into Christ, and now you're in Christ by faith. That's something to be thankful for. And they have a faith that he's already said produces faithfulness. Their belief is, their convictions of what they believe in is also what they practice. One of the things from the mission and vision, we have a team of people that are looking at everything that we're doing, and we went through the first exercise reading through many scriptures, and it talks about this. Is what you say you believe the equivalent of what you practice in life? Or is your practice contrary to what you say you believe? If you believe that we are to make disciples and you don't make disciples, there's a contradiction there. Paul is saying here that this faith that they have in Christ is one that doesn't, their belief does not contradict or their actions don't contradict their belief. That's the way we want to live. 
That's the way Paul is encouraging them. And so he talks about being thankful, he talks about their faith, and then he talks about their love. And the one thing that you got to get here is their love is for all the saints. All the saints. Brothers and sisters, this is something that we really have to learn is to love one another. If we don't love one another, we're not loving God. Love for one another goes beyond. It, it doesn't look at, Paul Triple talk about his definition of love. Love does not look for someone to reciprocate and give me back what I think I deserve. Love is loving another person and doing well by them regardless. We are to have that love for one another. But I think we get into a congregation like this and we're supposed to be united, to be brethren, and we're really not. We're kind of fragmented. I like him, I don't like her. I like them, I like my own peeps over here, but I don't like them. That Paul says the, the great mark of a Christian is to be thankful, to have faith in Christ, and to love the saints. Not some saints, all the saints. That's hard. That is not according to your nature. But your transferred nature, the new creation that you are in Christ, it is possible by the power of the Spirit. Have you ever prayed, Lord, I don't like this person. Help me to love them. Help me to love them. I was taught some time ago. I wish I prayed. Uh, I practiced this more regularly than I do. But if there's someone that you don't like, the best thing for you to do is to pray for that person. To pray God's blessings upon that person. To pray for their spiritual well-being. Not in the, with a critical spirit at all. Just begins to pray for the best in their life in their walk with Christ, in their vocation, for their kids, all those things. That changes your heart, brothers and sisters. You won't see them the same way as you pray for them. That's having a love for the saints. So this faith and this love, along with thanksgiving that we're to have being great Christians, and it's in this great Christianity, the motivation, the impetus of this is hope is hope. Hope isn't wishful thinking. Hope is a certainty. Just like last night you went to bed and you got up and the sun came out. Now it's overcast, but it's still light outside. Lord willing, this evening the sun will go down again. It's that kind of certainty that's going to happen. All that we have, the hope that we have is in Christ who is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now. And He is coming again. All that we have is laid up with Him, with him in heaven. We're going to see in Colossians a little bit later that the reality is there's an already and a not yet. Even now, by faith in Christ, we were raised with Him to new life. Forgiveness of sins. And we are seated with Him because our union with Him at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, we go to the throne of grace. We pray at the drop of a hat for all things that we have. That 
hope that we have is a reality, even now. And it will come to fruition in the coming of Christ. So these are great Christian marks. Thanksgiving, faith, belief in the Word of God that it is true. And love, you love God when you love others. And then the hope that we have in Him. So there's a great status that we have. There's great Christianity that we share in. And then there is a great gospel. A great gospel. Part of the problem that the church at Colossae was having is they never saw Paul. There was beginning to be some questions about is the gospel that we got from Epaphras, is that really the true gospel? Or do we need some of these other things? Do we need a little bit of Greek philosophy? Do we need a little bit of Judaism and the law? Do we need a little bit of Eastern mysticism to come to fullness here? That was a question. And so Paul pins this, and this letter would have been written out, read out loud for all to hear. And so he starts on telling them the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verses 5 through 8, he gets into the gospel itself. And I'm just going to recap some of these things here. The gospel is the Word of God. It's what is promised in Scripture. It is the truth. Absolute truth truth it can be believed in it can be relied upon it can be trusted and that is the gospel and Paul says to them this is what you heard this word this truth this gospel it came to you and you heard it and you responded to it and you believed but the gospel doesn't just come one time the the Greek that's here has this idea that the gospel comes and it stays present with you. It reinforces you day after day. That's why the speaking of the gospel to one another is so paramount for your own encouragement and your own walk. So the great gospel is the word, it's the truth, it's the good news. It has come to them, it's present with them. And then Paul says just as it's gone to everywhere else in the world. Now this city of Colossae, the people that are there, would have heard what the gospel was doing, the mighty works of God elsewhere. And some people would probably say, well, why doesn't that happen here? Well, Epiphas comes, preaches the word, and the response happens. And it says, so it's just as it's doing in the whole world, and it's doing two things in the world. And I want you to hear this. It is bearing fruit and it is increasing. Those are present tense verbs. That means it's continually bearing fruit. It's continually increasing. Now, I hear this all the time. God brings the increase. You're going to think I'm controversial, but I'm going to back it up. God brings the increase. That, that we preach the Word, we share the Word, and God brings the increase. And that is absolutely true. But for most people that hear that, most Christians, they say then, it's really not up to me. I'm backing out. Christ is preeminent. God has a purpose. Let Him do the work. 
But I told you three P's. Preeminence, purpose, and our participation. Now think about Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, You've gotten that because of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, And upon this rock I will build my church. In other words, on this proclamation that you just made, Peter, I'm going to build my church. But that proclamation isn't just for Peter to do. It is for every single one of us. When Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. That is Jesus passing the baton and saying, The work is now in your hand. I will build my church, but I provide the means, and you're part of the means. I'm part of the means. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How does someone know unless someone is sent? How does someone hear unless someone speaks? Paul says here that the the church is bearing fruit and it is increasing. I just want you to think for just a moment. What would happen to this local body if we grasp this vision of Christ's preeminence in the world, everything that He is, if we grasp and seize the purpose of God is to redeem lost people, and then we went out and started sharing that good news. You know, one of the things that is assured when you share the Gospel, you're not going to see the work done in every time that you do it. But it guarantees that you will see fruit. You will see increase. My son Jake went to work right out of college for the Frisco Rough Riders. He began to sell tickets. And so he figured out real quick that it was a numbers game. That he would meet his quotas and then some if he made 120 calls a day. 120. And he was motivated because he he knew... I would hear a lot of no's, but I would hear yeses. There's one sure thing. If you never share the gospel, you're never going to see someone come to Christ. That's an assurity. You, You can't get anywhere if you don't do it. But if you do it, you're going to have no's. You're going to have people slam a door in your face, so to speak. But you will, you will, Because it's the means that God has given in Christ to spread the good news. And because He has elected some before the foundation of the world and God has predestined them to become children of God unto adoption, to be holy and to be blameless, to be saints, because He has said that promise and He said this is how it's going to work. You share the word. They'll come to faith. It is a great, great gospel that bears fruit And it increases. And for that, again, he says, you understood it by grace through faith. So, with this in mind, 
With this in mind, in chapter 7 and 8, when he, when he boils this all down, he talks about the gospel as what you learned from Epaphras. The root word for learn there is methetes. That is translated disciple. When, when we are hearing the gospel, we are to be discipled. We're to grow in our knowledge, grow in our understanding, to be built up in the faith that we will live it out as saints, that we would be like Epaphras in chapter, the last, latter part of chapter, verse 7, faithful ministers. This is an every member ministry. We don't rely on an Epaphras in every city. The church is to raise up, equip, and send out people to make known their love in the Spirit for others. Well, that's the way that it is to work. That's the way it's intended. That is our goal for the mission and vision of Trinity. Is just as it's laid out here. We'll continue to learn more about that. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't have faith in Him, pray that you look to Him. Flee to Him. Pray to receive Him by faith that you may be a saint along with the rest of us. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, we do rejoice in Your Word and how it transforms and changes us. We pray that we would live it out, that there would be no contradiction between what we say we believe and the way we live. Father, but we need grace. We need strength. And so we look to You, Lord Jesus, and this table that is before us this bread and this wine that we take and we receive by faith to strengthen us, to build us up, to remind us of the forgiveness we have in the cup. Lord, all these things we pray that You will do for us that we may live lives that reflect Your own. In Jesus' name, Amen.